The UN Climate Summit has agreed to take a lot of money from you and give it to their cronies in the third world and at the UN. And there's a whole lot more. Stay tuned and I'll let you know. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Behind the Deep State. I hope you enjoyed our special report last week, uh, our episode filmed at the top of Mount Sinai about the emerging climate religion and the new system of morality that is now being openly heralded at these UN conferences. Uh, I wanted to talk today about the more practical side of it. They did come up with an international agreement like they do every year. It's the same charade. They, they uh, work for two weeks and they say, oh, we just can't come to a deal. And so they go overtime. This time they went longer overtime than usual. They were like three days over the official limit, but they did finally come up with a deal and uh, we all could have written the script in advance. No, uh, it's just uh, so, so obvious. But I want to give you guys some of the key highlights of what happened and uh, and explain the significance of this, folks, because what's happening here, uh, it is uh, the climate change narrative is uh, one of, if not the most important of the narratives that is making possible uh, this global system that is emerging. It is the rationale, the pretext for fundamentally transforming our economies, for reducing the population of the planet, for taking enormous amounts of wealth from us, uh, for deindustrializing the United States and the Western world and helping communist China build up uh, into an industrial powerhouse with a military to match. So uh, this is a hugely significant thing. Uh, and you're probably wondering if this is so important, why hasn't the fake media in the United States been talking about it? And the answer is very simple. If the American people got wind of what was happening here, the whole shebang would be shut down almost instantly, uh, especially now with Republicans just having taken control of the House of Representatives. They'll be seated in January. Uh, and uh, if, if Americans find out what's happening here, uh, there's almost no chance that uh, the American taxpayer, that the U.S. government will play along with this. And so it's happening very quiet. I mean, it's, very, it's very noisy in other countries, right? If you go to almost any country in the world, you'll find these stories about this COP27. They'll be on the front page, above the fold. They'll be lead stories on the nightly news. But in America, nothing. Right. We're talking about uh, LGBT bars shot up by non-binary people. We're talking about uh, what this celebrity did or what that celebrity did. No talk about the most important story. So let me walk you through what happened in this agreement. So uh, under the guise of paying uh, these, they call them climate reparations. That's their term, not mine. I'm not just using that term to make fun of them. They are calling it climate reparations. Uh, governments of wealthier countries like the United States, the European nations, New Zealand, Australia, and uh, Japan, uh, they're going to be taking huge amounts of money. They didn't commit to a uh, specific number yet. Those details are going to be worked out over the next year, but huge, potentially unlimited amounts of their citizens' money to be redistributed. Uh, it's a down payment, they said, on permanent wealth redistribution. They're going to be creating this mechanism to permanently siphon money out of Western nations and into the United Nations and the kleptocratic third world governments that are keeping their people in poverty by not allowing them to use energy, not allowing them to use their nation's resources, not allowing them to have security of private property uh, and all the rest of that. So this is a permanent wealth transfer mechanism that is being imagined here uh, that has been agreed to by the governments of the world. And so uh, we talked a little bit about this a few weeks ago. We, we predicted that this was going to happen. It was, it was pretty obvious. Uh, they call it loss and damage. And the, the idea behind this is that Western peoples industrialized first. We created uh, um, the internal combustion engine, uh, power plants uh, run on coal and 
uh, oil, natural gas, things like that, uh, the locomotive uh, industry, manufacturing. Uh, and so because of that, uh, Western peoples put more CO2 into the atmosphere, and therefore they must pay for hurricanes, droughts, fires, as if these things never existed before industrialization. Now, uh, again, from a scientific perspective, this is totally ludicrous. Uh, go back and watch our many, many interviews with uh, leading world scientists about this hypothesis that the UN puts out there, the idea that uh, man's emissions of CO2, which, by the way, make up a fraction of a fraction of 1% of all the CO2 or of all the uh, uh, greenhouse gases naturally in the atmosphere, but the hypothesis that human emissions of CO2 are driving catastrophic climate changes is just ludicrous. But using that as a pretext, uh, they're saying that uh, every natural disaster is made worse by uh, Western CO2 emissions. And so taxpayers in the Western world, you and me, uh, need to pay up to these governments to help them uh, adjust to these um, these natural disasters and things like this. Uh, obviously, uh, quite silly, but that is the the pretext behind this. Now, uh, they they started talking about $100 billion a year during the Obama administration. Uh, now they are talking in terms of trillions of dollars every year that need to be paid. And, uh, of course, this is all happening while at the same time they are decimating our industry. They are decimating uh, our energy infrastructure. They're shipping our jobs and our factories over to communist China. Uh, we'll talk about that. We have talked about that, but we'll talk about it more uh, in just a moment. Now, the head of the UN, uh, Antonio Guterres, uh, formerly the leader of the Socialist International, world's largest alliance of socialist and communist political parties, uh, he had uh, this big speech written for uh, when the COP27 ended and they came to this agreement. Uh, and it's the same thing they say every year, right? The COP has taken an important step towards justice. I welcome the decision to establish a loss and damage fund and to operationalize it in the coming period. Clearly, this will not be enough, he says. Right? It's never enough. Right? That's why they have to save the world every year again at one of these summits. So they get what they need, and then the next year they get more, and then the next year they get more, and then the next year they get more. You see how this goes, right? Uh, he says, clearly this will not be enough, but it is a much-needed political signal to rebuild broken trust. Um, in other words, uh, this is a, a down payment. This is a start on what is needed. Now, uh, the climate activists, mostly funded by taxpayers, the uh, the third world governments, they were very happy about this. Um, and uh, they, they basically said that this will be a good start, but we will keep going. Uh, and I, I want to share with you guys the, the rhetoric change to, to get a sense of how they keep going further every year. Uh, I think it was in 2019, we were in Spain for the uh, COP, uh, what was it, 25, maybe? Yeah, the COP 25. Uh, it was supposed to have been held in Chile, but a communist revolution uh, caused it to be moved over to Spain. Uh, so they said uh, it wasn't climate change anymore. Now it was a climate crisis. Well, from climate crisis, it moved very rapidly over the last two years to climate emergency. Now, if you go to the World Economic Forum website, yeah, the Great Reset people, it is now climate hell. Uh, and this was a buzzword that was heard very, very regularly all over Sharm el-Sheikh, all over this UN climate conference. We're headed toward climate hell unless Western taxpayers give up more money, more freedom so that China can build more coal-fired power plants. Now, I, I did a whole episode on this a few weeks ago. This is how you can know that even the leaders of the this movement don't believe their own narrative, right? Uh, communist China emits more CO2 than all of the Western nations combined. In fact, it emits almost twice as much CO2 as all of the United States, all of Europe, all of Australia, all of New Zealand, and even Russia combined, okay? Imagine that. Now, if you were truly concerned about CO2 emissions, the 
elephant in the room or the giant fire-breathing dragon in the room would obviously be communist China. Uh, and yet, under the Paris Agreement, they agreed that they were going to continue increasing their CO2 emissions all the way up until at least 2030 or so. Uh, in fact, right now, communist China is putting more coal-fired power plants online between now and 2025 than the United States has in total, okay? They're bringing more coal-fired power plants online in a period of two years than the United States has in total. Let that sink in. And yet we asked so many people at this climate summit, what, what about China? Now you're so concerned about CO2 emissions. What about China? Well, you know, China is lifting people out of poverty. Oh, so uh, the Western nations that industrialized, the industrial revolution, the, the production of the assembly line, uh, the, the uh, introduction of all these new technologies that uh, slashed child mortality, that radically extended lifespans, that uh, made our standard of living massively higher, that counts for nothing. No, but China's bringing people out of poverty is the, the same refrain we heard over and over again. And also they're supposedly building windmills and uh, solar panels to sell to the idiots in the Western world who think they're going to be green. Um, Truly unbelievable, folks. And yet, this is exactly what we observed at this climate summit. Um, uh, now, the uh, these climate reparations, so-called, uh, it's going to be taxpayers in the West. Several governments already signed up to give money. The Danes, the Austrians, Scot Scotland, Belgium, Canada, France, Germany, New Zealand, and many others. Uh, and also the international development banks that are funded by Western taxpayers, the World Bank, the International uh, Monetary Fund, uh, all, all these uh, Amer America's Development Bank, all these things like this. Uh, these will also be a, a critical pipeline for taxpayer money from the rapidly crumbling Western world into the coffers of third world kleptocrats. But uh, this is what they're doing, folks. Now, uh, you know, there was a major uh, snafu that took place during the climate summit, and that is that uh, Republicans took the House of Representatives. Of course, if you read our Constitution, you know that all of the funding has to come from the Congress. And uh, if the House of Representatives is controlled by Republicans and Republicans aren't willing to pay up, which right now it doesn't look like they will be, what happens? Uh, so we asked a lot of delegates about this. Right? We asked um, um, a lot of people who were there. We asked attendees, activists. Nobody really wanted to talk about it. They wanted to kind of stay in their bubble where if John Kerry the, running around like a, a Santa Claus on crack, you know, throwing money around and signing blank checks, um, that, that suddenly that's all going to materialize. And they said, no, guys, in America, we have a Congress and the Congress has to approve money. Uh, and it doesn't look like the Republican Congress will approve all this money. So what do you do? Well, they got really mad. Uh, we actually asked uh, the uh, deputy prime minister of the Democratic Republic of the Congo about this. Uh, she was there. Uh, she was given a press conference near the media area. And she asked, uh, she basically explained that, look, if you don't want the people of Congo to use their resources, right, if you don't want them to, to use trees, if you don't want them to use our energy resources, you're going to have to give us big money, right? Who could blame them? Who could blame them, right? In fact, the, the president of Uganda put out a brilliant blog post saying, look, we don't even want Watch your charity, but stop telling us that we can't industrialize while you live high on the hog. And, and really, who could blame them? So we asked uh, this uh, uh, deputy prime minister, Eve Baziaba, uh, about what happens now that Republicans are in Congress. And uh, you can take a look. Watch. So the Republicans in the United States just won the election and there might not be any money from the United States. What happens then if the U.S. pays no money? What will happen if you have no money? Yeah, if, the, if the U.S. Republicans say no money for any of this, then what happens? 
Uh, the whole thing falls We're still apart. working on it. I will so, tell you later. All right, very good. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we also asked uh, John Kerry uh, some questions, and uh, we, we caught up to him. He was running around with a face mask on. And so we, we asked John Kerry, uh, you know, what happened now that Donald Trump has announced that he's running for office again? Of course, Donald Trump famously called climate change a hoax. Uh, he, he worked on getting us out of the Paris Agreement that would have nullified this whole thing. Uh, in my opinion, he didn't do nearly enough. We've talked about that. He should have uh, submitted it to the Senate for ratification or just said this is an illegitimate thing. The Senate never ratified it. We're not playing along. But uh, here's uh, us asking John Kerry about this. You can see what he said. Yeah. What do you think about all this request for all this money that the, the governments are asking for? Are you willing to provide that on behalf of the American people? Excuse me? But they're talking about this financial mechanism. Is the U.S. government going to go for that? Not anymore? Oh, learning more. Okay, thank you. So, yeah, uh, right is what he said through his face mask. But uh, basically, we're still learning about it, and uh, and we'll see. Uh, now, the reality is Republicans are going to be in control of Congress starting in January, uh, and many Republicans actually reject the entire hypothesis that human emissions of the gas of life are actually causing climate change. In fact, uh, the, while we were at the conference, Congressman Thomas Massey, who we've had on this program before, who's been a regular guest on The New American, said that the whole idea of CO2 as pollution is pseudoscience. This is not scientific at all. And of course, he would know he's got multiple degrees from MIT where the great meteorology professor Richard Lindzen pointed out uh, that climate change movement is actually a climate cult. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that, that's what we're dealing with, folks. The Republicans are going to be coming in, and uh, Republicans have really put a stop to this in a major way. Uh, in 2009, Obama promised that they were going to be uh, taking $100 billion a year from uh, Americans and other Western Westerners into a green climate fund. Uh, but of course, uh, the Congress never was willing to sign those checks. They got a billion here and a billion there. In fact, Obama illegally diverted a billion dollars into this thing, uh, flagrantly illegal. I, I reached out to the State Department. You can go read that article. Um, they just flagrantly lied about what they were doing. But uh, then Donald Trump came along and, and basically said, no, this is not going to happen. Um, we're going to be withdrawing from the Paris Agreement. This is a, He actually has called it in the past a, the climate change idea, a, a scheme by the Chinese to uh, to destroy our economy, uh, I suspect he's uh, at least partly right. But uh, even as they never got this $100 billion, uh, these people are saying that that is not nearly enough. Uh, Johan Rockström, he's the director of the uh, Potsdam Institute for Climate Impact Research. Uh, he actually gave an interview with the World Economic Forum where he said that uh, they need uh, $100 billion. That's much too little. Uh, I want to show you this video. Check this out. Number one is many pledges were made in Glasgow. Don't debate those pledges anymore, deliver. Now is the time to be accountable. It's time to report back. What are we doing? And unfortunately we will show in, in Shalma Sheikh that we're not making progress on those pledges, but this is the moment to set up the monitoring and accountability mechanisms for that. Number two is to put money on the table. I mean, this is, this is the time to, to truly fill up the Green Climate Fund. 100 billion is much too little, we know that. We have to move into the trillions to help developing countries to accelerate the pathways towards decarbonizing their economies as well. And number three, quite frankly, is to have, have a serious update on, on the risk assessment. The World Economic Forum is, is famous for its annual risk reporting and, and we need to have a much more frequent what I would call catastrophic risk assessment analysis in the climate negotiations because we're so close to tipping points, we're so close to unmanageable that we are 
hitting the limits of adaptation. We're still uh, allowing ourselves to believe that this can be handled incrementally when in fact we need to have exponential changes and take some big decisions. We need to uh, you know, recognize the need for more what we can call radical politics or radical governance where we have to see that now is the time to take some big decisions to, to regulate ourselves away from, from the damaging process we have today. It's, it's a bit too easy for us to talk about consumer behavior and uh, choices and awareness and, uh, and behavioral change, when in fact we need some big system shifts which requires finance, politics, governance to, to shift. The only reason why the climate has not become even warmer and even worse is that nature still helps us and supports us by sequestering carbon. So the drama today is that we have a major climate crisis and at the same time we're on the red on biodiversity, on freshwater, on land and on overloading of nutrients. So we're losing the resilience in the natural part of the planet that has helped us for 200 years to buffer the implications of our fossil fuel burning. Uh, and, and that's what we heard over and over again at the climate summit as well. This idea that we needed uh, trillions and trillions of dollars to make this transition into the new world order. Uh, in fact, even while the climate summit was going on, uh, you may have seen uh, Klaus Schwab, the head of the World Economic Forum, lecturing uh, the leaders of the G20 nations in Bali about the total transformation, the total restructuring of the world that he said was needed. So I want to show you that video as well. But actually... What we have to confront is a deep, systemic, and structural restructuring of our world. And this will take some time. And the world will look differently after we have gone through this transition process. Now, you know, that's the pressure from above, right? The Klaus Schwab, the big business interests, the big governments, the UN. Uh, but there's also the pressure from below, right, to fundamentally transform the system. Uh, we, uh, we, we were walking through one of the main halls, one of the main open areas at this UN climate summit, and we ran across a, a big protest. There was, I don't know, a few dozen people there shrieking about uh, si system change, not climate change. Uh, so we asked, you know, take me to your leader, right, like the aliens. Uh, and they, uh, they took us to this lady called uh, Lindinida Nakpil. Uh, she was with the Asian People's movement on debt and development. There's endless number of groups like this funded by taxpayers typically. Uh, but we asked her, uh, you know, what does it mean? This system change, not climate change. And I want to let you hear what she had to say. We want a new system that cares for people, that cares about the limits of the planet, that has production primarily for what people need and not primarily how to sell products so that they can make a lot of profit. So that is really overturning the logic of capitalism the way we see it. What that system is, we can all have a, a process of working out what kind of alternative system that is that also recognizes that there are certain elements of our world that is for the commons and not just for private 
ownership, like water, like land. All of these resources must be produced for the common good. All right, so that's the pressure from below, right? You got the pressure from above, you got the pressure from below, and the poor middle-class suckers, the taxpayers being asked to give up their freedom, asked to give up their money, they're just caught in the middle and they don't get it, right? The protesters want it, the big government, the big business, they all want it. I guess we better just submit. So uh, the European Union, which now has usurped the power to basically negotiate for all those European nations, uh, they wanted the deal to include much more destruction of uh, Western energy infrastructure. Uh, their uh, executive vice president, a, a top level bureaucrat, Franz Timmermans, uh, he said uh, in a message to his fellow EU bureaucrat or to uh, fellow UN negotiators, what we have in front of us is not enough of a step forward for people and planet. Right? He does not bring enough added efforts from major emitters to increase and accelerate their emissions cuts. Uh, again, talking about the United States, not China. Uh, we've all fallen short in actions to avoid and minimize loss and damage. We should have done much more. But not to worry, we'll be doing another one of these next year where we will extract as much as we can then. And they'll just keep going, right? They'll just keep moving this party around, flying in on their private jets to tell us how much money we need to give them, how much of our freedom we need to give up, etc. cetera. Uh, now, a lot of the third world governments were kind of happy, right? They, they say it's not enough as usual, but they want even more. Uh, the finance minister of uh, Tuvalu, which is one of the nations they always trot out because it lives on a, they live on an island in the Pacific. Uh, he said, three long decades and we finally have delivered climate justice. He said, we finally responded to the call of hundreds of millions of people across the world to help them address loss and damage. Yeah, and you know, we... I like to talk to regular people when I go to these things, not just the, the weirdos inside the, the climate summit, but just the regular people outside, the, the cooks, the, the hotel bellhops, the Uber drivers. And we talked to one Uber driver uh, in Cairo, super nice guy. Like, so so what do Egyptians think about this whole COP27? He says, Egyptians don't care about the climate. That's ridiculous. Uh, this is just a chance to get more money. I'm like, man, this guy gets it better than the 40 whatever thousand people in that uh, silly uh madhouse that was the UN COP27. Uh, they also uh, were, were really focused on this idea of 1.5 degrees. Uh, they say that we've got to keep warming be below 1.5 degrees Celsius increase. But uh, folks, this is just so preposterous. It, it makes me think of uh, King Canute, who famously uh, ordered the tide to stop rising. Uh, and, you know, he had good motives. He wanted his people to realize that he was not all powerful. He did not have the power to command the tides. Unlike these climate people who say, well, if we just shut down 18 more uh power plants in the United States, if we ship more factories to China, then we'll be able to keep the warming down to 1.47. I mean, it's just totally preposterous, folks. These silly UN climate models that they have, they can't even accurately model what has happened in the past, much less what happens in the future. But we're just told relentlessly that if we do what the UN says, we'll be able to keep uh, warming below 1.5 degrees uh, Celsius increase. Uh, they do this every year, right? They agreed to that in Paris, and now every year they have to renegotiate it. And oh, you a little bit of that, a little bit of this. Uh, very, very silly, in my opinion. But uh, the head of the UN, uh, you know, he um, he had some really intense rhetoric. Uh, I want to share this with you. He says, our planet is still in the emergency room, right? It's never enough. Uh, we need to drastically reduce emissions now. And this is an issue that this cop did not address. A fund for loss and damage is essential, but it's not the answer if the climate crisis washes a small island state off the map or turns an entire African country to desert. The world still needs a giant leap on climate ambition. Uh, he says that red line that we must not cross is the one that takes our planet over with a 1.5 degree temperature limit. Uh, he also called for a separate climate solidarity pact that would further undermine energy use and production in the Western world. 
while shipping it all to China, right? And, and that's how you know, this is not about saving the climate. This is about promoting communism, right? They want to discredit the American model. And by the way, the hatred they were stirring up against Americans was just unimaginable. I want to show you a little footage from uh, an event that they had. They do this every year. Uh, it's the Climate Action Network. Uh, we found out a few years ago from reports in Congress, they were funded by Russian oil money coming out of Gazprom, the state-backed oil company. Uh, so we tried to ask them about it. You know, would, would they comment? No, they wouldn't. Uh, you can see the footage. Uh, but always, America is the fossil of the day, the fossil of the year. America is so evil. How dare you have invented and, and developed all this technology that made life uh, better for billions of people all over the planet. Can't do that, right? Uh, so Guterres goes on to say that to have any hope of keeping to 1.5 degrees, we need to massively invest in renewables and end our addiction to fossil fuels. This is essential to keep the 1.5 degree limit within reach and blah, 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 blah. Everyone, he says, needs to play their part. Um, yeah, it's uh, truly amazing, guys. And this was just what happened like on the main stage, right? Outside of this, uh, you had all these cities and, and states and subnational governments, regional governments, private corporations, crony capitalists. Uh, Google came out and announced this big uh, track and trace program where they're going to be tracking emissions of everyone and everything all over the world forever. Uh, it's just so many things happening here, folks. But uh, I want to give you a sense of the propaganda that's being fed to people around the world uh, so that you can kind of understand what this looks like. And We'll translate it for, for you as you go. This was the AP article. This was run by uh, basically everybody that covered this ran the AP article, including Fox News, by the way, owned by uh, uh, establishment deep state types. Uh, for the first time, the nations of the world decided to help pay for the damage an overheating world is inflicting on poor countries. But they finished marathon climate talks on Sunday without addressing without further addressing the root cause of those disasters, the burning of fossil fuels. Uh, first of all, to talk about nations is preposterous. Kim Jong-un is not a nation. Xi Jinping is not a nation. Joe Biden is not a nation, right? Uh, these people are governments. They are not nations. They're dictatorships. In many cases, they're kleptocrats, mass murderers, gangsters. Uh, these are not nations. Uh, they are governments. Um, and uh, this idea that we're uh, paying for the damages of climate change to poor countries, again, totally ludicrous, right? Uh, the idea that uh, the root cause of the disasters, right, hurricanes, fires, droughts, et cetera, is the burning of fossil fuels. This is pseudoscience of the highest order, right? These kinds of disasters have been with humanity for all of human history, at least after the flood. And um, frankly, uh, deaths from those have fallen to virtually nothing as a direct result of the industrialization, the technology, the burning of fossil fuels that now makes human societies drastically more resilient and able to withstand these kind of disasters without loss of life, et cetera. So uh, they, they went on to say that uh, governments need to establish, establish this transitional committee. Uh, they're going to be meeting in March to work out uh, the details of this uh, reparations fund. Uh, they hope to have it operational up and running by the COP28 next year in Dubai. But uh, obviously, you know, it's going to take a lot more world saving events in beautiful seaside resorts like Cancun, Sharm el Sheikh, Rio de Janeiro, et cetera. Uh, Simon Steele, the UN Climate Change Executive Secretary says the next step for change is just around the corner with the United Arab Emirates stewardship of the first global stock take. That's where they're going to be checking up and making sure that all the governments are doing to their citizens what they said they would. Uh, they said for the very first time, we will take stock of the implementation of the Paris Agreement. It will independently evaluate the progress we have made and if our goals are adequate. And if it's not, you better get busy. Right. Uh, it will inform what everybody every single day everywhere in the world needs to do. Are, are you hearing this, folks? This body that they're putting together to meet uh, in the United Arab Emirates is, according to them, going to independently evaluate the progress we've made, and it's going to inform what everybody, yeah, that means you and your kids and your wife and your husband and, and everybody, 
everybody, every single day, everywhere in the world needs to do to avert the climate crisis. In other words, they are going to write the script of your life for you and everybody you love because it's necessary to avert the climate crisis. So guys, uh, we are moving very rapidly in the direction of a prison planet. The world is being shackled under the guise of saving us from climate change, global cooling, global warming, climate change, climate crisis, climate emergency, and now climate hell. Uh, they're even developing a new religious and moral system to go along with this, a new system of ethics. Go watch our episode from last week for more details on that. Folks, if we hope for liberty and prosperity and well-being to continue into the future, for the world's poor to have a chance to improve their lives, to have the opportunity to be able to cook and heat their homes and, and develop industries and raise their standard of living beyond grinding poverty, we have got to inform ourselves and get activated and put a stop to this madness. I'm Alex Newman. This is Behind the Deep State. Thank you so much for tuning in. Share this with your friends, your family, your pastor, your lawmakers, your elected representatives, your county sheriff. We have got to put the brakes on this, folks, because everything is on the line. And again, you're not going to hear this from the Facebook media and the fascist social media companies will not let this get out either so we depend on you go to the newamerican.com for much more thanks for watching until next time god bless you all if you enjoyed this video please make sure to subscribe hit like hit that little bell so that you'll be notified whenever we post new videos and also please make sure to share this video with your friends email is a great way to do it remember there are powerful forces working to steal our freedom and destroy our country we need to work together expose those behind the deep state otherwise you can kiss your liberties goodbye